Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Deniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I'm scared to close my eyes. I see dead people. I believe you have my stapler. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? This is not just a couch. It's just a couch! You take the red pill, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You leave the light on after bedtime. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. So you excited to uh, to do this? Excited to talk about Varsity Blues and she's all that? <laughs> I, I'm excited in general just, you know, this whole idea that you had of, you know, doing 99 movies from 99 or I guess 99 episodes on movies right. from 1999. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was because it was 5 a.m. Uh, when you texted me, uh, about this and I just was, you know, delirious or whatever. Uh, but I decided, yeah, that's a perfect idea for a podcast. I think, uh, you know, maybe we'll be wrong. No one will listen, surely. And then I'll be wrong. So, well, that's, that's most podcasts. So I, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, only other podcasters, uh, listen to podcasts. So. I don't know, but we we're kind of aspiring like a like a TV series to that like hundred episode syndication deal. It's like we really we're really uh, I think we're kind of showing that we're confident in this. But I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun to sort of relive a year anyway. That sort of time travel aspect of it. In America, we have laws, and it's just accepted that as a member of American society, you will live by these laws. In West Canaan, Texas, there is another society which has its own laws. Hey, Mark! Let's roll! <laughs> Woo! I tell you, these players are just running around flawless. Oh, my boy's too much trouble for you. Oh, no, uh-huh. Tell me this insanity's over in a few weeks. Five more games, no more football, no more Kilmer, and if I get into Brown, no more Miss Kate. Come on, keep your shirt on, Billy Bob. <laughs> Get your strap up, man. I'm here to work. We do things around here my way. You're going to be second string all your life, boy. This game is 48 minutes for the next 48 years of your life. <laughs> this is your opportunity for here. you. Playing football at West Canaan may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. You disobey me. I will bury you. I know about your scholarship to Brown. Only way we're going back out in the fields without you. Kilmer said, 48 minutes, the next 48 years of our lives. I say we go out there and we'll leave it all out on the field. We got the rest of our lives to be mediocre, but we have the opportunity to play like gods. Let's be heroes. Already regretting this, I can tell. That was a sigh of regret. No, uh, I was sighing because I'm just looking at my computer, and I have to admit that uh, when I started uh, the other movie podcast, I never thought I would be like, all right, um, it's time to go talk Varsity Blues and She's All That. But I've got all my my tabs and my various research open uh, to this, so I'm just – I'm ready whenever you are. Um, This is going to be really ironic if I'm extremely enthusiastic about Varsity Blues and you are not. So I, I don't know. I, I'm just going right into it. Like, you okay. know, I, I think this is a film that has aged really well. Um, and, and, you know, the chief criticism 
against it at the time was that it was just a very predictable cliche sports movie. And yeah, sure. It, you know, it is exactly that. But I do think there's such a thing as, you know, covering all those cliches, you know, in a way, uh, that, 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 you know, that is so engaging and entertaining that it kind of, you kind of don't really, you, you stop caring at a certain point. Um, you know, I certainly think some of the, some of the interplay between John Voight and James Vanderbeek here, uh, you know, when he's screaming stick to the basics and, and, uh, hitting his whistle against, uh, Vanderbeek's helmet, you know, I think some of that stuff really makes up for what is a pretty predictable movie. When did the damn circus come to town? I didn't see no trucks. Would have been six if he held on to the ball. For which team? You listen hard. Stick to the basics. Stick to the basics. Stick to the basics. We're a running team. You only call what I tell you to call. You hear me in there? You are the damn dumbest smart kid I know. So I don't know. What do you think? Because you're, you're the football fan. You're the big football fan. So what do you think? I, well, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to put it out there in case uh, anyone is listening. I don't know how they found this podcast, uh, the first episode, but I, I'm by no means a football expert. And uh, in the state of Kentucky, it is not seen, I guess, basketball would be the equivalent to this sort of Texan lifestyle football. But as a uh, general sports fan, American sports fan, I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I, I think as far as it aging well, there's stuff that I admire about it and it's, uh, I guess, lack of political correctness at times. And I, I guess when it came out, it probably there, – there are scenes where they're trying to be politically correct, like especially with the James Vanderbeek character. Uh, you have him uh, sort of correct – in a certain way, uh, maybe a loving way, um, which is to say not that sternly, the uh, Scott Kahn character as far as uh, him. Uh, he makes reference to date rape basically being his his M.O. of, of how to get the ladies. And uh, there's an offhanded reference to to him winding up in jail one day. And uh, you, you have some, uh, I guess, homophobic slurs in here. Um, and I, it's probably strange to say, but I think I appreciate it because it felt more – like how that age group would act and you don't always have someone having a, uh, a teaching moment with that sort of thing. Cause it's just not really on these kids mindset. That's just not really, they just wouldn't approach each other that way. And there's, there's actually one note, like I, I both like a scene and dislike it. So I'm interested in your take on it where you have one of the black players talking about the John Boyd character, uh, sort of using him as a workhorse, but favoring, the star quarterback uh, played by Paul Walker uh, and sort of bumping up his numbers and stats, basically trying to put the, the white players, the star players on a proper collegiate course. Look, man, I'm over this shit. I'm over it. I hear you, man. You don't hear me, man. Jim was a fucking ass racist redneck. How many yards average a game? About 100. 133. How many touchdowns I have? Three. That's only because I broke for over 20 yards each time. Like every time we get inside a tent, he gives the ball to Lance on a sweep or some fucking rollout to a white receiver. It's bullshit. I'm just Kilmer's black workhorse. You think he'd pick up the phone and call Texas Tech or AM for me? Fuck no. Nah. Damn, Mox. Thought you knew. Shit's fucked up. Fuck Kilmer, all right? I'll get you in the end zone. I like the scene because you have this this kid who even we don't know much about. Uh, basically reprimanding James Vanderbeek, who's propped up as the good guy uh, for being stuck basically up his own ass and his own problems. And I felt like that's a, that's a really, that's a real moment for a teenager. Like even the one the the guy who thinks that he's the, you know, the friendly one, the good guy, he's got, he's got like the sort of stain on the straight and narrow, take care of everybody, look out for others. Uh, as a teenager, you're self-involved and you would not be aware of other people's struggles. I, I don't think it's probably portrayed that well as far as the dialogue and the acting, uh, but I think there's some moments here that are actually pretty, pretty grounded and realistic, as strange as it would be, because I d- did not expect that rewatching Varsity Blues. I've not seen this since I was a teenager myself. So I do agree with you. It, it holds up fairly well. It's, I mean, it's by no means a great movie, but I think it has some good stuff here. Yeah, I mean, I think grounded is a very good way to put it. Um, like there's not 
like an amazing amount of ambition in the movie itself. And in the same way, there's not really like the main character does not see this as something that he's going to do for the rest of his life at all. Um, you know, and that's one of the, that's one of the interesting things to, to me about it is that, you know, the movie ends and, um, you know, instead of getting this idea of how important this whole time in their life you know, was because of this game, we get the opposite. It's that, oh, this is just a very isolated, you know, wonderful thing that happened, and that's it. And, yeah, that feels way more authentic. In the same way, like you're saying, yeah, the the uh, uh, homophobic slurs and stuff, um, you know, yeah, completely authentic. Um, you know, it'd be kind of... Uh, it'd be kind of disingenuous to have James Vanderbeek, uh, come in and be like, Hey, Scott Cam, uh, you shouldn't be calling people that word. Uh, that's wrong. Um, because it's not very, not really how it is. And certainly not how it is, you know, in this, you know, time period. Um, and one of the things I'm hoping we're not going to do is that we're not going to get in drawn into this constant loop of saying, uh, oh, if this movie were made today, it would be so politically correct and political correctness would just drown it out. Um, and that's true. Uh, but, but I, but I feel like we could end up being drawn into like sort of just a loop of saying that over and over and over again. Um, now in terms of the scene with the African American player, uh, yeah, I really love that scene. I think it's a great scene that, and it comes up in, at a time where you're like, oh, I haven't even really thought about this at right. all. Uh, I haven't thought about his perspective at all. I wish that that scene paid off. I wish that he had some sort of comeuppance, um, you know, against, uh, John Voight's character near the end, but it kind of, it doesn't. I mean, it's sort, you know, there, he, his character comes into play in the finale, but not really in a, in a, you know, triumphant or, you know, victorious kind of way. Um, and that probably would have made that scene even more impactful. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree. This is not a great movie, but it's a very serviceable movie. Um, like it gives you exactly, uh, what you want. It, it's funny at the points where it's trying to be funny. It's moving at the points where it's trying to be moving. Um, it doesn't overreach. Um, I don't think at, at any point, uh, the, the one scene that feels a little, um, off in terms of tone is when Vanderbeek, uh, throws the football at his dad's head. And, and I love that scene and I love how it plays out, but I hate those, Dutch angles with the slow motion and the reaction of, of his parents and everything that just, uh, are, are so different from the rest of the film. Not, um, you know, you know, very, you know, very mental and, you know, and, in, you know, inside his head and everything. Um, and you don't really need it. Uh, you know, you mean, you completely understand what he's going through at that point. Dad, come on, this is stupid. Throw it. So oh. you winner, throw the damn ball. Come on, Johnny, you Sit on the bench. Show us what you do best. He's chicken. Yeah, he is a chicken. <laughs> Throw that damn ball. Hey, you feel like chicken tonight? You can do it. I raised you to be a winner, so damn it, boy, win. I fire that fucking pig skin. Oh. Whoa, nice damn. I think there, there, there was a concern there with it being too. Uh, maybe too abusive. Uh, if you if you don't uh, sort of highlight this uh, this sort of fantasy aspect of their taunting uh, him, uh, because you you have drunk mom uh, cheering him on, uh, and then you have you have dad and you have I guess the the other father that's sort of goading this uh, this competitive nature between these two boys. Uh, I think probably if I recall correctly, when I was a teenager, I don't remember having any sort of issues with it. I think you're also like probably looking at it differently where you at that age, you're probably rooting against, uh, your, your parents or parental figures more, but yeah, watching as adult, it, it, it does, it looks off. It, it feels kind of cringeworthy, uh, at times. I actually thought you were gonna go a different direction because the one thing that really sticks out to me that I probably didn't think about as much when I was a teenager and saw this initially, uh, is I don't like the, uh, the introduction to, uh, Mox's uh, physical abilities, where he's he's sitting on the bench reading Slaughterhouse Five, 
and uh, a, a ball goes out of bounds and he he sort of takes the extra effort to like throw it across the field uh, in a sitting position uh, looks really totally unrealistic. Um, the reason I don't like it is because I, I feel like it's a stronger film if he's not someone that's better in every way than the other quarterback and he's just been indifferent to uh, experiencing uh, sort of football glory. I, I liked the scene in practice where he's attempting to sort of um, uh, outthink his coach in a way or try something different, maybe like a, a true student of the game, but just doesn't have the physical gifts of Paul Walker's character. And I don't know if it's ever really like watching it and thinking about that again from a sort of a sports fan's angle. I don't think what we see in the game, we ever really need him to be as physically gifted as the previous star quarterback. I think him being a more cerebral player would have been just as effective as far as on a, on a high school level. Uh, and also I think it would have highlighted the uh, tension between him and John Voigt. Uh, and I guess the way they approach the game in a, in a stronger fashion, but I mean, it's just one scene, but it, it does sort of bother me that he is, he's better in every way than Paul Walker. Uh, when really, I think he just needs to be smarter. He just needs to be more intelligent. And that's, that's how you approaches the game. I could see that, but I do. I, at the same time, I think it would be a very different movie if they approach it from the the perspective of oh, he suddenly has to step into these huge shoes and has to not only um, overcome uh, Voight's character, uh, Bud Kilmer, um, but he also has to overcome his lack of ability. If that's the movie that you're pitching, and I think that'd be a very different movie, and I don't know if it would be as good in some regards because it would end up going off in all sorts of, it would make the game feel more important than it ultimately is for this guy's life. And, and so in, in a way it's better that they didn't approach it that way because we get that, you know, great scene between him and Amy Smart uh, right before the final game where he explains that he loves football when he can just look at it, you know, as a game. Uh, when he's not looking at it in terms of the way that his parents are looking at it or the rest of the town is looking at it. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's sort of essential for his football abilities to be, um, you know, as good, at least as good as Paul Walker's, if not better. Um, you know, You're otherwise it'd be a choice. different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. See, I, I felt like the movie is going, I guess, the direction that I, I, I want it to now. Um, because you know, the, the way they win the game is it's through a lot of trickery. Uh, you know, the, the plays he, he calls, especially the, 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 the final drive, the game winning one, uh, is something that is, uh, you probably would just not see, uh, it is, it's insane. It is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a movie moment. And I, I think most of his success on the field is usually sort of outthinking his point, which to be fair, you know, any football team that is successful is outthinking. Cause when you get to a higher level, they're all, pretty much of equal ability. They're all extremely gifted athletes. Uh, so yeah, I just, I just felt like, um, you know, in a certain way it's, it's a way for the, uh, the people who are not into sports, I guess, to identify with this character. Because, yeah. Us, <laughs> okay. <us people>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he is, he is somewhat dismissive, uh, uh, of, of the game to a certain extent because, you know, his, his interests, I mean, reading Kurt Vonnegut, he, he wants to go to Brown, uh, they are beyond the, the, the football field. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's why I sort of would have liked to see the, uh, the more money ball, I guess, aspect of it where he's, he's finding some, uh, not loopholes in the game, but just ways that the sort of old fashioned staunch traditionalist of John Voight wouldn't have thought of. Um, but that, I mean, it's a minor quibble. It's like, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to think back to 99 uh when i was i was 16 and uh i i would not have had those issues at all so the target audience version uh of me uh really had no problems with this this film i think the only problem i had was with the uh, with uh, the accent and even then uh-huh. um uh-huh. <laughs> even then i kind of have fun with it i mean you know i don't remember and I, I grew up in kentucky it's not the same as texas but there is a certain southern twang and i don't remember anyone because i worked at a video store as well when this came out uh, I don't remember anyone sort of having issues. And if it came up, they just sort of, you know, smirked. And, you know, it's like they just enjoyed it. They were just like, yeah, you know, he didn't get it right. But it's it's fine. It's cute. You I know, mean, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, Meryl Streep, James Vanderbeek is not. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I was a big uh, Dawson's Creek fan 
at the time, I think around this time when it, when it came out and everything. And it's kind of perfect for him to be cast in this role because you do need a sense that he's a little bit different from everyone else, that he's a little bit removed, uh, from, you know, the, from what he would need to be in order to be completely accepted by all these people. And that's fine. And that works fine. There are a few moments here and there where you're like, okay, they, they threw that in there because this is this, you know, gigantic teen heartthrob or whatever. And they're wanting to go for that audience. And I think that's fine. I think, you know, movies, you know, should be made for some kind of audience and, you know, tailoring it to, you know, towards younger people who are going to be interested in, you know, in that, in that kind of, kind of thing. Uh, it, you know, it's perfectly fine. And, and I think they would kind of do a disservice, I think, to, if they were to make this a cerebral sports movie like Moneyball, um, ultimately the, the Aaron Sorkins of the world still wouldn't appreciate it. Correct. <laughs> and, uh, and the, and the teenagers wouldn't, wouldn't go and see it either. So, you know, it'd just be throwing, it'd be throwing bad money, you know, after good. Uh, so, uh, I mean, they made a right decision here, I think, to, you know, to just kind of tailor this, um, you know, for a very specific audience. I, I agree, and uh, I'm actually going to throw uh, my favorite film of uh, two, 2016 under the bus just slightly, and that I thought a lot about Everybody Wants Some, and that is clearly mm, a film made by an older man looking back at his youth as opposed to trying to appeal to today's youth. And, and clearly with the setting uh, and everything uh, in the early 80s, uh, that's not what they're going for. And then the marketing, you can tell they, they if they were even trying to get uh, the younger uh, millennial generation in, they did not succeed. Um, very, very different films and very different, different goals. So everybody um, wants some is, is, a you know, my chief criticism of it is that it is a world and, uh, it, it's very successful in terms of, you know, becoming that world. Um, but varsity blues is both a world and a captivating story. And so I kind of give more credit to varsity blues if we're going to like, you know, put them up side by side. I'm I'm not touching that. I just want to thank our <laughs> listeners. If they're still around for our She's All That conversation, it's going to be great. I promise you. <laughs> I don't know who our target demographic is, but I really doubt it's the uh, you know the current generation uh, that would be watching a new Varsity Blues. Which before we get into She's All That, I just wanted to ask you that because I'm looking at the box office for both of them. They op- both opened to I think above 15 million, 15, 16 opening weekend apiece in '99 uh, in January and February. And I'm going to ask you, you're, uh, you're more knowledgeable uh, on these type of stats. What is the last like sort of teen non-horror success that we've seen uh, of this ilk? What's the, what's the well, last one that was like a Varsity Blues or She's All That? Well, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like quiz time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, I'm sure there's something, but I can't think of it well, like, uh, right now. And I, I'll, I'll pick on one of, you know, one of your favorites uh, from last year, Edge of 17, um, which I, I think you know, was not released at the appropriate uh-huh. time, like Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, but it, watching these two, I'm like, okay, Edge of 17 is an attempt, probably more like uh, She's All That uh, than Varsity Blues because it doesn't have a, uh, a big game at the end to hinge on. Uh, but yeah, that it, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. I have to say it's a, probably a bad example of where the industry is going that they're not targeting all age groups. It's like that if you're a teenager, you should just be into superheroes and capes now. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I don't know where, where are the age specific films uh, and is there a market for that? Cause the edge of 17, it, it doesn't matter. Cool it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you know, there are about 20 <laughs> movies that make money every year and the rest don't. And they're just vanity projects, um, you know, to, to keep, um, people banging around who might make a superhero movie at some point or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter anymore. And I, I just want to get as far away, uh, from 2016, <laughs> even the good movies from 2016, um, and 2017, uh, even the good movies that I liked, I just want to get as far away, uh, from it uh, as I can. Uh, I haven't seen a movie in theaters since Get Out. And I think, uh, yeah, that's it. That's me. That's my philosophy right now. I'm, I'm getting out. Uh, so, um, current movies, I'm not going to be a very big expert on, but, so on um, to she's all that. That's <laughs> sure. what Ben's saying. It is, it is funny because you picked interesting movies to put up next to each other. Both she's all that and, um, varsity blues were movies that were made for a budget for under, on a tight budget. 
um, that ended up being commercial hits that, uh, also both of them had, um, catchy soundtracks that people really liked. And both of them kind of, you know, permeated the culture in the early part of 1999, um, in a way that if you were to bring them, these movies up to people now, they would definitely remember them. Um, I think people would definitely remember the, um, oh, I forget the band, but whatever the, the name of the band when she's coming down the stairs, um, yeah. you know, they would really love, they would remember that and they would remember the, um, Julia Roberts, uh, hooker line, um, which everyone seems to remember that. Um, so interesting to compare these two movies because I think one, you know, as I've stated, Varsity Blues has aged extremely well and, and is a really good example of just, of just solid filmmaking, uh, you know, work. And, and then I look at She's All That and, and, you know, I, I'll, full disclosure, I hated it when I first saw it. Um, I had an intense amount of hatred, uh, against it. I thought people who liked it were stupid. And I was in high school, so, you know, you can give me some leeway here. Um, and, uh, and watching it again, you know, yeah, I don't really have that intense hatred anymore, but I still think it's just a mess and it doesn't really work at all. And it's one of the, so there are a bunch of movies in 1999 where they take a classic piece of literature or whatever and they try to update it for the teen generation. And I think this is the least successful, um, one of those. Um, and we'll be talking about a lot of the other ones later on, so I won't go into that. But, but I think you, if you compare Pygmalion and even the George Cukor, um, My Fair Lady, uh, musical to, to this, it is just terrible. And, and I just really, where, where I really, where I really lose it is that we have no idea why Freddie Prince Jr.'s character wants to make, um, you know, her would make, uh, Rachel Lee Cook's character popular. He doesn't really seem invested in it at all. It's just, oh, hey, Paul Walker came up with this idea. And also Paul Walker's in both these movies. Um, Paul Walker came up with this idea. I guess I might as well do it. I got nothing else better to do this week. Uh, and that's it. No, seriously, the guy thinks he could do anything. Let him prove it. What do you say, Zach? A bet? Yeah. Unless, of course, you're too heartbroken. Just name the terms. <laughs> all right, simple. I'll pick the girl. Then you got six weeks to turn her into the prom queen. You can't really hang a whole movie on that. Um, you know, it would have been good if maybe they had set up his character as someone who is really obsessed with status or class or whatever, who really is obsessed about becoming prom king. And that's the most important thing in his head. Um, and that's why he he's trying to um, impart this knowledge on Rachel Lee Cook or whatever, which is what... Um, Henry Higgins, you know, is doing in, um, in My Fair Lady and Pygmalion. Um, you know, he, you know, it's like a challenge to him. But in this movie, it's just like, oh, you know, I guess I'll do this now. Whatever. I think it, I mean, <laughs> not to speak ill of, uh, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., this was also, uh, when he was much younger. Um, I don't know what he's done beyond Scooby Doo. I don't know if he, he went on <laughs> TV or what. Um, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, I, I think, yeah, he just, he doesn't have any particular charisma. I, I mean, I'm saying that because I, I understand why he didn't really go on to even be a, a sort of a leading man in like romantic comedies. Uh, cause he doesn't really project anything. And I think the film is afraid to dirty him up in any way, at least in varsity blues, they, they do call Moxon on his bullshit. Amy smart does mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the, the interview sequence where he, Thanks God and his teammates, mm. you know, and, and he does all the, uh, the the sort of sports jock post game interview uh, cliches. Um, just falls in, and he falls into it so easily and so willingly, and he's like pleased with himself. That even the film sort of points out what a jackass he is, or how uh, how happy he is being a jackass. Here, yeah, okay. The initial bet, I actually forgot Paul Walker was, I guess the uh, you know the the bad guy, I guess uh, in this. Um, I, I say that in the sense that he's uh-huh. a high school student who wants to get laid. I mean, that's, it didn't seem like, you know, that was like, he, they project him as this like insanely evil guy, this mastermind. And really I watching it as an adult, I did find myself thinking like, I, I get the impression that he actually is more interested in Rachel Lee Cook's character than Freddie Prince Jr. is in the sense that 
you know, even when the bet's off, he's he is like, I don't know, he's like sort of more into the idea of being with her or like getting her in some way. Uh, whereas Freddie Prince Jr., it is it's very territorial. It's very it's very obviously high school. I, uh, I like you. I, I think I hate watch this when I was a teenager, um, but it didn't. I have to say it, it had very minimal impact uh, amongst my uh, peers at the time. They were much more into uh, 10 things I hate about you. I remember it was like the big one uh, as far as the sort of teen romantic comedy. And I think that maybe has something to do with where I grew up. I don't think that people really could get into uh, first off, this high school is like massive. I think this is where they filmed like Buffy. And uh, also the people here, you know, this is not a clueless situation where they're really poking fun uh, too much at the uh, the sort of the status, the lifestyle they have. There's there's one sequence where one scene where Rachel Lee Cook kind of calls Freddie Prince Jr. out on his bullshit, which I'd also forgotten that his main problem with his family is picking which yeah like I like school to go to and I <laughs> and he can go to anyone he wants money is not yes. an object but it's but we're supposed to feel so bad for him <laughs> that he can just go to whatever college he wants and not have to worry about paying for it uh wow <laughs> yeah I understood why varsity blues was something that I remembered a lot more of because yeah the the you know the smart guy uh, in that film uh, played by James Vanderbeek, his dream is to go to Brown, and he's like enthused. He's like that is his like his goal. Like it would it would be his his, his you know that's his game winning touchdown right there. And Freddie Prince Jr. can't be bothered to pick between Harvard or Yale or uh, Dartmouth or whatever. And and they pay uh, it off. They pay it off in Varsity Blues with that great scene with his father, where he's you know with the quotable line of, of "I don't want your life," and and it's great. And in in she's all that, it just peters off. Like it's like they have him and. Tim Matheson have that one scene and then that's it. Like we never find out, you know, what the, what, you know, what the outcome of that was. And similarly, uh, Paul Walker, you know, what, what the hell happens? Like, like we never get to see the, we never get to see a final scene between him and Rachel Lee Cook. It should, it, it should, we just assume, oh, hey, Rachel Lee Cook wanted nothing to do with him. So she went back to Freddie Prince Jr. Like, like it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm, you know, it, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, that, that goes back to my point. How bad of a guy could he be? Like, yeah. I guess he makes his move and she says no and he drops her off. He's like, okay, I guess <laughs> I've been turned down. I'm sorry. And, uh, the, I have to admit the only thing I took uh, a lot of interest in watching at this time is I just rewatched, uh, Margaret, uh, a couple weeks ago. And so getting to see, uh, Kieran Culkin and Anna Paquin, like as the, the youngsters as the JV squad here, uh, who would then go on to have a romantic entanglement in that film. Uh, that was, that was about it. I, I, uh, I would say clueless is, is one that uh, stuck around and probably did this better as far as using this particular setting, uh, and using a, a classic story and then putting that sort of California high school spin on it. Uh, I don't think this is age well at all. They do some weird stuff here. I mean, you have the real world thing, which really would, uh, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think would have any sort of prominence now. Um, and then they, the, even the sequence where Freddie Prince Jr.'s, uh, girlfriend that sort of sets this thing, whole thing off at the beginning breaks up with them where they keep cutting to like an MTV beach house and like you know he's walking through this this flashback. I, I felt like uh, the film was a tryhard. I felt like it was trying. It's just trying to do too much that's sort of out of its league. Uh, so what you were talking about about Varsity Blues just being very sort of serviceable and sort of getting to the point, knowing what it is. At times, I think she's all the she's all that reaches. Uh, beyond its its scope there and it's uh it's it's a bit wince inducing at times it was it made me feel very embarrassed that i was watching this by myself at home at times <laughs> as a middle-aged I, man i'm not embarrassed because i think we're doing it we're, we're doing it you know this is gonna be this is gonna turn into something i think <laughs> um but <laughs> so that scene that scene between freddie prince jr and his and his first girlfriend um, in the beginning is terrible. And, and they introduce this visual idea of having a flashback where they're interacting with other people, you know, and seeing them in front of them. And it's never, we never see anything like that in the rest of the movie at all. And, and I know this sounds like I'm nitpicking because it's a teenage movie, but, but audiences pick up on stupid stuff like that. Like, like you may not be aware of it in the way that I'm aware of it, but you're aware of it when you're watching it and, and you're thinking, you know, Hey, something about this isn't really meshing right. Um, you know, and, and that's what I, what I feel about, about through, you know, throughout the most of, uh, you know, the most of the runtime of this movie. 
I really enjoy Matthew Lillard's uh, real world stuff. And I think that could have been a lot funnier if, you know, if they had wanted to. But again, what a side, what a sideshow that is. Um, you know, why aren't we getting funny and interesting scenes like that with Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook? Uh, why are their scenes kind of, you know, ho-hum and, and boring? Um, and, and, you know, this, this whole thing where he shows up with people to, to clean her house. Uh, it's so ridiculous. Um, you know, who are these people? Where did he find them? What, the what is that about? Yeah. Like, like, are they, are they stealing like stuff <laughs> while, while they're going through? Like, who are they? Are they, are they, is this just, you know, people at Home Depot or whatever? Um, like, what's going on? Like, I'm glad you brought I, that up <laughs> because I thought, you know, some of the notes I took about Varsity Blues where it's like, okay, there's some homophobic language in the locker room, a football locker room at that. Okay. It's understandable. Here, I thought uh, some of the, the sports culture, which you barely get, it's not even mm-hmm. promoting the fact that it's in this sort of sports realm. You have the, uh, I guess, the underclassmen who are forced to go clean uh, some random girl's house that is not dating Freddie Prince Jr. at that time. And I felt like there's a tinge of sort of bigotry or, or there's something going on with the dismissiveness with which they they deal with or react to the Matthew Lillard character. There's insinuation that he's, Oh, he's gay. Like, don't you, the, the, this girl's stupid for, for trying to go after him because, uh, he, his sexual orientation, uh, is not as well defined. And then you have that extended sequence where he dances in front of them. And Freddie Burns Jr. It looks like his reaction is if at this party where music is playing that Matthew Lillard is like, taking a shit on the floor or something. It's like he's doing something so unbecoming. And I actually felt like, strangely, this film was far more mean-spirited than Varsity Blues to to other people. Like, easily, Matthew Lillard could be the Scott Kahn character, easily. He's just the, the life of the party. He's the one who's enjoying life the mm-hmm, most. Mm-hmm. And here, it's like, that is something uh, to, to get away from. Like, that sort of enthusiasm for life is something that is not to be respected. And that's something Varsity Blues, I think, does really well. And that the Moxon character, even when he says, like, okay, that's, you know, you may want to watch that or, you know, rethink those ideas. He's never very judgmental. And the film isn't either. Like, the, all, all of those guys, that little core group, even the Paul Walker character is the the injured football player. You know, they don't have moments where they really turn on each other. Like, it's very, it's like everybody wants some in the sense that it's very accepting, very interested in other personalities being sort of thrown together through sport. Here, I don't, I can't say the same about she's all that. Like, there are weird lines drawn in the sand, like you said, with the Paul Walker character, where it's like all of a sudden these buddies who've had a somewhat good natured bet between themselves, may not be good natured to Rachel Lee Cook, are like at each other's throats over, <laughs> over nothing. And I, 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 I do. I think it is. I agree with you. It's a, it's a mess of a movie. It's kind of all over the place, like all the time. This this really strange scene in the cafeteria where Freddie Prince Jr. makes the bully eat his own, you know, pubic hair or whatever. Let me tell you guys what you're gonna do. You're gonna get up, get over there, and apologize to my friend Simon here. Sorry. You, pub boy, grab the pizza. Hoover it. Now. Hold on. Don't finish that. Munge here wants a piece of the action, too. No way, man. Those are his pubes. I guess you should have thought about that before you picked on my friend Simon, huh? Hoover it. It's not even funny at all. It no. like like there is there is so much there there is some very funny pew beating in South Park um, that goes <laughs> way beyond that. And and you can look at this scene. That would be a good scene. That would be a good story development in this movie if Rachel Lee Cook turned it back on him and said, "Hey, why did you make them do that? That was so gross and disgusting and inhumane." Um, and tried to challenge him to be a better person, but the movie doesn't like like the movie doesn't even understand Pygmalion. Um, the movie doesn't understand the story it's trying to update for uh, you know teenagers and everything. Um, you know, and it is funny because I do think. Even to try and do that today, even to try and update a piece of classic literature or whatever for, for a teenage audience, that would be seen as too risky today. Um, and yet this movie is still 
a failure, um, you know, watching it now. Um, again, why, why does Paul Walker challenge his friend to do this in the first place? You know, what, what is compelling him to do that? It, nothing, there's nothing in the movie that really establishes that. He has a line where he's like, he says something to the effect where he, he thinks that Freddie Prince Jr. is some sort of fake or poser, uh, which I never really understand because he's, he's such a, uh, a vanilla personality. Yeah. I'm like, what is he faking? <laughs> uh, exactly. He doesn't really ever say much. He's spoken to a lot. Uh, he, he is a very good student apparently. So I don't, I don't believe he's faking through that and he's handsome and good looking. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it. I, I feel like it, you know, it loses the thread as far as what high school culture, which there can be a lot of backbiting and betrayal, especially uh, when it comes to uh, dating and, and sort of the, the opposite sex or same sex, I guess, in, in this case at times. But uh, I, I thought like, you know, Paul Walker's character, you would think the immediate reaction would be, hey, we're being invaded in some ways by this zealous celebrity who's like coming down to date a high school student. <laughs> I'm going to help my buddy. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to try to set you up with somebody else. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you through this in some way. But instead he's immediately pointing and laughing behind his back and then challenging him to date an equally attractive girl who just happens to wear glasses. And is yeah, interested yeah, yeah. Not. I, that is a huge criticism against the movie too. I think in that she is already, attractive enough to be popular and everything and mm. literally like like we get a we get a swimsuit they're not even trying like they're not no. they're not even putting her in ugly sweaters or anything like that which i could respect you know um she we get a swimsuit scene with her and and she looks just as good as all the other people um and i, I don't get it um you know i i'll give credit to the movie uh in in one respect i think the choreography during the prom sequence is very memorable and interesting. And certainly it's very artificial. Like you, you know, no, none of those people could move like that at a prom setting. Uh, but it's funny because, um, so the choreographer here is Adam Shankman, who would go on to become the director of of Hairspray Mm -hmm. and, um, the Tom Cruise, uh, rock, movie what what is it called rock of ages rock of ages and um so that was something i want to bring up and i do think that it's interesting just the way that both varsity blues and she's all that have such memorable soundtracks and you know even music licensing was expensive in 1999 even then it is now unbelievably expensive and you couldn't really do that today in the same way. Um, and so just the way, and I'm looking it up right now, the, the band is Sixpence None the Richer and the song is Kiss Me. And just that sort of marrying of, uh, Rachel Lee Cook coming down the stairs with, you know, with that song. And it sort of changes the way people listen to that song and this changes the way people look at this movie. Gentlemen, may I present the new, not improved, but different, Laney Boggs. Swing, swing, swing the spinning step. You wear those shoes and I will wear that dress. Oh, kiss me beneath the milky twilight. Leave me out on the moonlit floor. Lift your open head. You ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the same way that the um, hero song in Varsity Blues, you know, becomes a very different uh, connotation uh, to it when you hear it now, uh, after you've seen it, you know, paired with, the, with that movie, with those images. Um, and the only thing I can really think of where, where that happened um, uh, after this is uh, 2007 with the Donovan song, Hurdy Gurdy Man. Uh, where putting that song under the end of that movie, suddenly this very kind of peppy, uh, folk song becomes a very dark, uh, you know, song when you hear it. Um, and so, it, and the same thing with, with, um, the, the hero song. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's synonymous with, with images of football now. 
See, I was going to go with uh, ACDC with the, the 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 Hangover game. That was the the iconic. <laughs> like, I've drank too much and I spent my entire evening at a strip club, and now I'm playing football. I just uh, imprinted ACDC in my head. If you ever happen to find yourself oh the Thunderstruck, yeah, 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 that's yeah. a good example too. Yeah, you know. Uh, I don't know uh, on the on the dance sequence. I did uh, look that up because I was like, "Wow, that's just strange." That uh-huh, sort of just uh-huh. broke out. That that was something that they added just for runtime, just to to make oh, it really? longer. <laughs> yeah, it was something that was not initially. They were like, "We're not going to do it," and then they're like, "Hey, this is coming up short," which is only a ninety-five minute movie. So I thought it was there because Usher is so awkwardly placed in mm-hmm. this film, and I think Miramax was trying to put him in things at the time. I think he was in the faculty. Maybe that winter, uh, the Robert Rodriguez film. But uh, anytime he's, I don't think he ever interacts with anyone, does he? I think he's just like the DJ they cut to in the booth, and he's just at the prom. He's the one making. So I, I thought it was there for just that reason to give him more screen time. But uh, yeah, apparently it was just to, to lengthen lengthen the film a little bit. But you know why not? At that point, why not just have that choreographed dance sequence? Because it it doesn't matter like, at that point. Like we're we're all over the place. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I I could see why uh, why I hated this when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> me too, and, and, and a big part of me thought it was going to be a big reversal for me that I was going to really <laughs> watch this and like it and find it funny um, and everything. And I think I think my film familiarity with Pygmalion and My Fair Lady, um, you know, really hurts it because they're both you know screen versions of the story made before this are so much funnier. And so much more moving, and the characters feel like three-dimensional human beings, and here they they just do not. I've seen neither of those. That's why I kept referencing uh, Clueless and uh, Emma. <laughs> so I can tell you it doesn't really – I mean, my the effect is the same on me. I did not enjoy watching this. So uh, maybe it would have been a little bit worse if I'd seen My Fair Lady, but – um, yeah, I didn't didn't enjoy digging back into this one. I, I kind of wish that I had not watched them in chronological order, which I'm going to stick to that for the purpose of this podcast. I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna watch them week. I'm not gonna go ahead into like mm-hmm. you know the summary mm-hmm. thing. Me uh, too. So yeah, this one you know this one fell second because it came out a couple weeks after uh, Varsity Blues, and uh, yeah, I found myself rather impressed with how Varsity Blues uh, holds up. And uh, this one, I was just like, you know what, some some things I did get right when I was 16. I was I was dead on with it. So, <laughs> and I remember I remember liking Varsity Blues too. I didn't see. I don't think I saw either of these movies in theaters. I think there are ones that I thought saw um, on video afterwards. Um, and I do. So I mean, yeah, essentially, you know, um, I remember having a really interesting conversation with my family one weekend, and and my brother stated a weird. Um, claim that he said, look at the movie that's number one at the box office right now and what that says about, you know, American culture and everything. And the movie that was number one at the box office at that time was Varsity Blues. Um, and I, and I threw it back at him. Well, have you seen that movie? I mean, how do you know that, you know, that that's a bad thing? And it's like, it's very interesting because, you know, I really, I would give, I would give anything to to see a movie like Varsity Blues in the theaters right now again, just in terms of that effect that you that it can have on an audience, um, you know, that when you can feel the emotions just kind of like soaring throughout the room, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've felt anything like that. I want to thank the listeners that we had that just uh, <laughs> tuned out right there to hit unsubscribe. <laughs> thank you for trying us out for one episode. To be fair, I haven't attacked any particular movie. I'm just attacking <laughs> movies in general. And I, I think it's perfectly fair. I think, it's per- I think many people will feel nostalgic for, for Varsity Blues the, the same way that I am. I, I mean, I hope they feel that way, you know, if they continue with this podcast listening i think it's it'll be fun to to go back and rewatch uh 99 because it is held up as that is one of those those years like uh 39 is is said Mm -hmm. and i remember even reading uh, you know it was pretty quick that that time period i think entertainment weekly uh at the end of the year had like a, a cover story that was like you know the best year in film question mark and had the grid of all the things that you know they had given negative reviews to like i remember fight club i think got like an, an <laughs> f or like a d and there it was on the cover in the best year in film uh ever so uh yeah i, I, I think this I, I don't want to skip ahead or anything um and talk about movies that you know in this timeline we technically haven't seen yet but right. um 
you know, um, I guess we should have done this at the beginning, but I guess why 99 for you? And I guess you've already said, stated that you feel it's like one of the best years ever or whatever. Well, and uh, I mean, for for most of '99, I was uh, 16. I turned 17 at the, the end of the year, so uh, I have very fond memories uh, of catching up on things. I mean, not just films uh, from that year, but I was I was working at a video store, so I had you know free rentals. I had access to to everything we had in a small town, Kentucky, and so that's you know that's me getting to go through Scorsese's work. You know, and that's that's me discovering sort of film in a way in in those years, and so '97 through you know, 2001, I guess, were, were years where I just sort of had nothing else to do and sort of lived and breathed movies. And um, unlike, you know, today or probably especially probably a lot of teenagers now, you know, I was I was going to the theater as soon as I got my license. I was going every week to see one or two movies that weekend or, you know, I, so I, I look back at it just as like uh, sort of the, the pinnacle of my sort of movie going, um, I guess, diet. Uh, really so uh, for me it's maybe it's just you know the year i was born but I, I i do like that this year is so well regarded just because it was when i was in the the thick of it and uh, this is probably a side question uh and we'll, we'll get to i guess you know if, if this is an important year for you or not i don't know if i just sort of dragged you into this if you oh, i, I hate <laughs> movies from 1999 they're all so horrible i just can't believe you did this um but is that your side question <laughs> no 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 my side question is I, I feel glad, and I, I mean, I kind of know because I mean, you and I are friends. I kind of know. <laughs> which Don't, way go so come down on this. Don't go so far. Don't go so far with these proclamations. <laughs> well, it's, it's episode one. We'll see where we're at. You know, in episode twenty or whatever, but. I, I don't think I would have had a, a similar outlook. I would not, for instance, I would not have tried out uh, watching Varsity Blues or even She's All That when I was a teenager. God, uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> who were you? <laughs> Okay, you know, she's all that is obviously. I don't think it, it was directed at sixteen-year-old boys. Were you like uh, Wes you know. Anderson? Were you like uh, the 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 Max character in Rushmore uh, when you were like seventeen? Like, I mean, <laughs> actually, I was probably when I was, I was probably younger and like that. I think I was I was trying to write my own sort of versions of like T two when I was like in third grade. Um, but no, like I I think that you were forced to because the, the first off, films the access to them was so limited. But I think mm-hmm. it's like a, it was a good thing. Like if I'd had Netflix then at my house, I, I wouldn't even bothered going out to engage with varsity blues. I wouldn't have listened to, you know, the guys I was going to high school with like, Hey, you should check that out. Cause I like you, I didn't see it in theaters. I, I just, I watched it on VHS. Uh, and I, I probably would have been like, Oh, there's already better things. Like, and I, I think you need some of the, I don't want to call them junk, but you need some of the more populous stuff. You need to mm-hmm. like engage with that of its time, uh, and not jump ahead to you know whatever uh, is on the uh, Criterion Collection list, and I, I didn't have access to those things. And in a way, I think it's good. I think it's 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 formed my sensibilities in a in a positive way by not skipping ahead to you know the 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 harder stuff or the more difficult to digest films. You weren't watching Salo, 120 Days of Sodom when you were I 17 still years have, old. Have not, and I, I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever will either. But that was just a throwaway uh, joke or whatever. Um, but I, I, I was 13 in 1999, and, um, you know, I don't know if I went to the theater as much as I did later in my life. And I, I had an illegal cable box thing, um, and I could see everything that was on pay-per-view. Um, and so I would just watch that. And I think that's exactly how I, uh, how I saw She's All That and Varsity Blues. Um, the statute of limitations has passed on that. Uh, Cox Communications. So you, you know, come after me if you want, but it'd be a very expensive trial. Um, Is that the, uh, <laughs> like 99 version of torrenting, I guess, like the uh, the illegal cable box? Basically, so you could really, you could, you could state that I've been stealing movies ever since <laughs> I was like in middle school, um, you know, uh, but I would hope that you wouldn't. And I have admitted to nothing. And, um, so you and I already have very different, uh, (laughs) teenage years because I I didn't have TV. Like, I just thought, like, whatever we had, like, the, the, like, the network stuff, you know, but I didn't, for the most part, I just watched movies. You know, I just put them in my VCR and that's what, uh, that's, that was my entertainment. So, uh, if I didn't do that, I was, you know, playing Super Nintendo or something. But for, yeah, if I was going to have something on the television, it had to be a movie, uh, 
that I, I sought out in some way. So yeah, that, that, those are those are good. I, I like that. I I feel like even now as an adult, I mean, I'm talking shit about you know the millennial generation in a certain way, but I find myself hard. It's hard for me to even focus with the streaming services because it's mm-hmm. like you know, there's so much. Mm-hmm. I just scroll through, uh, and you know, and eventually I just watch an episode of Louie or something. I'm like, I just put on 20 minutes of something and I'll just fall asleep. But uh, having to actually say, okay, there's this is a tangible thing, and I'm going to commit to this. I, I do kind of miss those days. I mean, it's a, it's a little naive because you get a job, you have adult responsibilities. But as a teenager, you know, I was going through you know two or three tapes a night. I would just I would just just hang out and watch movies. And so yeah, '99 is a great year for me. I, I would go to the Hollywood Video, um, you know, and I would be I would be your customer basically if we weren't geographically spread apart. <laughs> um, and I was one of the, I, I do believe I was one of the first people I knew who bought a DVD player. Um, I think I bought one in like 1998 and it was like $150 or whatever. Um, and my, my parents thought it was an ungodly expensive, stupid <laughs> thing to buy. Um, and they were probably right. Uh, and, and, you know, that was basically how I would seek out movies and I don't know. I, I did watch some classic movies, but in general, I guess, um, I don't know. I had phases. I had phases where I would get into certain genres and just kind of binge on those. And then I would, and then, you know, next year I would like one year I'd be into horror and I would watch all the Friday the 13th and all the Halloweens and all that. And then next year I'd be out of that and I'd be into something completely different and I'd, you know, watch all those and I would just kind of go through cycles like that. I think I would have been a better podcaster then because I, uh, especially when the DVD craze, the commentaries and all the special features would just blow my mind. And I uh-huh. like, I'd, I would watch it and then I would immediately watch it with commentary track, which would bother my friends. Cause I would, you know, I'd put on uh, fight club and then I would want to watch all of those insane sort of visual effects features. And, uh, you know, it'd be 20 minutes on just the opening credit sequence or, you know, 20 minutes on the, uh, the Ikea furniture blowing up and all, all that. And they, they were like, can you just watch the movie and then put on another movie? Like we're, we're willing to hang out, and watch movies, but we don't want to, to, to listen to them talk about the movie afterwards. And, um, yeah, the DVD days were, I, I would have been, I, I probably would have had a lot of stupid male, you know, white teenage uh, opinions in a small town, and I would have, I would not have been as respectful about she's all that if I was respectful tonight. But uh, yeah, I would have been far more knowledgeable, at least with the uh, the director's comments at the time. Which now, I don't know, like really with commentary tracks, you have to be really engaging for me to stick with it now as an adult. I just, I won't just listen to it just to, to feel like I've had the total experience anymore. There was a nice commentary track on uh, Varsity Blues, which was actually pretty interesting. And, and, and the whole narration at the end was a studio note. Um, it was never meant to be in there. And that's why those closing images feel kind of cobbled together. And when you, when you think about it that way, the ending's a lot better than, than if, you know, than if you just take it on, take it on its own. Um, and, uh, kind of an interesting thing to think about. We didn't even bring up the whipped cream teddy at all, and that's probably the most memorable thing about Varsity Blues I, for many I people. I thought we were just being we were just being adults here, uh, because I uh, yeah that that's certainly an iconic image, and uh, especially if you were a teenager uh, of, of that that time. Um, that goes back to you know I guess what I said previously. I like that uh, the way James Vanderbeek plays it. Um, mm-hmm. There there's a there's a longing to to commit this act, which is not only a betrayal of his girlfriend, but it's his girlfriend's uh, brother that's supposed to be involved with this uh, uh, whipped cream covered temptress. Uh, but I, I like that he he really plays that desire like, man, I wish I could, but I, I'm not going to, as opposed to uh, being so standoffish and put out that this this girl would ever like sort of come on to his his perfection and his ideals. Um, and I also, I like that scene. I like uh, that he sits there and talks with her. It's not like he runs out and, uh, you know, just, just flees, uh, flees her sort of, uh, evil sexual ways. You know, he sits there and has a conversation, uh, basically talking her out of like her doubts and her fears about, you know, how her life's going to go. It's, it, it's a very gentle, uh, ending to that scene, which I have to admit, I did not remember. I did not remember how it played out. I just remembered the, the whipped cream, but. Uh, thank you, Ben, for for getting the the teenage hormone memories back in play there. I thought we were gonna we were gonna avoid that one entirely. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I brought it up because I'm wearing a whipped cream teddy now. So <laughs> you're uh, just looking for an ending to this podcast. You're looking for for the out, and then the music plays, uh, which has been totally fun. That'd be fun. You don't have the video on, so I can't. I can neither 
confirm nor deny that. I'll just have to take no, you. No, I'm, I'm just feeling a little chilly. So, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you do live out in a much uh, hotter uh, climate than myself. So I understand that's how people probably walk around in their apartments there. <laughs>